0: You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Charlotte Edie. Charlotte, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Charlotte, we're going to talk about some work of yours that's up right now at 1969 Gallery in New York. And uh, I know I'm calling. You're calling from London right now. Um, which is where you're based but to talk first about that work in that show i i just went to see the show the other day and it was a really interesting show in in general but I'd, I'd like to talk about the two works that you have in there um one is cutting ties and the other is um uh, is finger coils which seems like they have a relationship but but let's begin with finger coils this is a, a 2022 uh painting it's um it's pastel on paper, and has what what looks like a kind of um, uh, almost a mannerist hand, this 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 stretched hand and uh, and and a coil in this in this kind of um, vessel-like shape. Can you tell me a little bit about it? It's it's so curious. As I was there, I'm looking more at this, and it feels almost like there's a, a story or a narrative, but perhaps not. It's it's. It's at least about this for me this sense of um, of shape of form and how it can both you know envelop and um, and, and surround us in, in a number of ways uh, what are what are your thoughts on this in, in, in terms of how I'm reading it
1: um, you're right in that um the two works sort of do speak to the other they were made in tandem um Because, yeah, when they, in 1969, um, reached out about the show um, with the sort of list of artists, um, there was quite an interesting sense of the uncanny, I think, across a lot of the works. Um, And I was sort of playing with uh, these sort of ideas of separation for these two pieces. Um, Cutting Ties, the sort of second work in the show, is presented in this hand-carved, red cedar-found frame with... um, this carved ribbon like detailing on the frame itself and sort of directed by that I was toying with a like visual analogy I guess between window frames and like ribbons crossing and I thought it would be an interesting avenue to explore the sort of portal like nature of that frame um, which sort of served as the point of the departure for finger coils. Um, Finger coils refers to a sort of way of styling the hair which um, wraps around the finger um, and I think the sort of the curls and ribbons in the two drawings are almost interchangeable and um, they both are sort of punctuated by this pair of anthropomorphic scissors um, and yeah they sort of relate to sort of ideas of like embodiment and separation for me.
0: And and so you said this was coming out of the other piece, right? There's a, another another work in the show called Cutting Ties, which has is, is housed is another um, work on paper and it's in a found cedar frame. You were saying in, as I understand, in Finger Coils, part of that was a play off of this frame, the one that's surrounding uh, Cutting Ties.
1: Cutting Ties was the first work um, that I did for the show, and Finger Coils was almost a response to it um the sort of scissors and ribbon motifs that came from cutting ties are expanded upon. Um I use sort of ribbons and curls interchangeably um in my work sort of to reference like natural hair. Um and so the second drawing, finger coils, explores that further
0: but cutting ties has a very different connotation, right? That that um this one also I looked at quite a bit. There's there's a heart in the frame above and it was hard for me not to read this as something personal. You know, what does it mean to cut ties? This enormously ornate frame that um, almost looks heart-shaped. It's not heart-shaped, but um, it looks maybe closer to to kind of a shield or or a coat of arms. But cutting ties, is that as simple as cutting ties of ribbons? Or is is this a, a kind of narrative about love am i reading it too, too much there is a heart at the top of that frame so that's how i read it
1: i think yeah it speaks to more of a sort of symbolic separation um yeah to sort of like yeah separate two parts and then finger coils within that the sort of natural hair and that is actually quite personal And so the idea of offering that coil up to be sort of severed by these same set of scissors um yeah as a sort of further exploration of that idea
0: and so you know those are those both of those works are really speaking to each other then, right because as you're saying the the first one cutting ties um was then the impetus for finger coils, which mimics some of the the forms in there, right, but has a different kind of um you know how to put it a, a, a different kind of mythology in there or maybe perhaps a personal mythology of different kind of symbols and signifiers but one is speaking to the other is, is is that appropriate to say
1: yes absolutely they were sort of they were made as a pair and i sort of like the idea of the two of them in dialogue um, they're the only sort of two works that actually use that um that i've made as of yet and i sort of like the idea of them being in that same show and mirroring um you know similar themes but one is more personal and the other one cutting ties, maybe slightly more external yeah
0: so let's talk about a few other works of course there's links here so listeners can go see the show if they're listening in time or or see more of the works in that show um but i'd I'd love to talk about a few others there's one called self-portrait um of yours uh that is not on view there and um and this is uh, an etching on sepel with organza. And I know organza is a material. I don't know what sepel is, but can you tell me a little bit about this work because um this also is kind of wonderfully enigmatic and and minimal and um and of course it's a self-portrait. So that's that's quite powerful. Can you tell me a little bit about the medium, burn etching on if I'm saying that right, sepel with organza?
1: Yeah, of course. Um It's a peely, which is a type of wood, um, actually. So it's a, um, yeah, so it's sort of burnt etching. I got a pyrographic etching pen. Um, This is sort of directly referencing a couple of drawings and studies that I'd made in the studio, which were in soft pastel. And I was sort of, I I thought I use a lot of wood in my work, but primarily as a method of display. And I sort of really wanted to, manipulate the surface with a sort of drawing technique. Um, So it's an etching process which sort of adds the depth and tone um, to the wood in self-portrait. It was from a show I had um, last year called Stillwater, um, which was exploring sort of the mirror as a, like, symbolic object. Um, And so I was sort of, like, with self-portrait, it was sort of looking at this sort of, association i think we have with the idea of like the looking glass um and its connotations of beauty and vanity and the idea of like glamour almost like explored by its like etymological sort of origins which was that of like a cast enchantment or spell which would veil the actual object and so let's
0: talk a little bit more about that because you're you're you know, self-portrait is so interesting um, for a topic in terms of different artists interpreting it. And, and of course, in yours, there is no uh, direct portrait. We don't see your, your face or yourself in the typical way it's seen. We see a mirror, so it almost looks like it could be the self-portrait of the viewer, too. Was that part of what, what you were intending? Because this is such a curious and interesting way of, of creating a self-portrait
1: quite like the idea that although I saw it as it's a self-portrait formed by these same mirrors, which sort of mimics the sort of curls. I mean, I think there's a visual analogy between handheld mirrors and the sort of profile of the head and the neck that's quite direct. Um, But I sort of, I like enjoy that like ambiguity of the viewer being able to sort of use my idea of the self-portrait as a method of reflection.
0: I like that. And there's, uh, there's an, another one that was also from that Stillwater uh, exhibition, which seemed quite remarkable. I wish I could have seen this in person, but it's called um, Tongue Tied. And this is, uh, looks like a woven tapestry. And there's also uh, hand silk embroidery on it and, and freshwater pearl, that same, that same wood that we were just talking about um, in a double frame. I love this object. It almost looks like you know the kind of watch case that people used to have that you could flip open. Uh, but there's a number of layers here. So, so what does that mean? Jacquard tap- tapestry with silk hand hand embroidered and freshwater pearl. These are a number of layers that are done with different processes, right? One's by machine, one's by hand.
1: Mm-hmm. It's quite a mouthful as a material description
0: um, I appreciate
1: um, but yeah I mean I sort of work with um, tapestry and embroidery as an extension of my drawing practice um, they start as soft pastel drawings which are then scanned and digitized and translated um, via uh, electronic double-headed um loom um, with a weaving studio to create these tapestries Um, And the tapestries afterwards are then hand embroidered, beaded, sometimes sort of adorned with freshwater pearls or, you know, couch chains and like, Um, but it feels, it's it's definitely a textile practice, but it feels really aligned with my drawing practice. Um, In some ways, the sort of weaving feels like it's akin to a printing practice, I suppose, and that the sort of pixels of the image are translated to the you know warp and weft of the tapestry and you know the surface is then primed and like you know satin stitch and feels a lot like etching like so it does feel like a sort of drawing process to work back into
0: and, and of course this is kind of like a, a a pocket mirror right It's it's much larger than that but this is almost like the kind of Cosmetic mirror that you, you could have in a in a purse, right? It opens up, and typically there would be um, a reflective surface on on perhaps both halves. I mean that's that's what we're we're looking at here, correct?
1: Yeah, there's sort of three like avenues, I think, um, within this one. The most direct one is the sort of compact mirror, um, but I was playing with ideas of you know the parallels between the compact mirror and the oyster shell, um, there's a moon in the work, which is sort of reflected, um, in the bottom half of the mirror, which feels like a pearl and a shell. Um, but there's something I find like very mouth-like actually. Um, and there are draped curtains that sort of elude the idea of a tongue within the piece.
0: And the title tongue tied in this one, um, it's also not, not completely cleared and clear. I mean, in one way that seems like this is, this is a visual object, right? Um, of course, but, but why tongue tie? That, that's such a curious title for this.
1: I think it sort of speaks to the idea of it as the mouth or that sensation of being unable to articulate something successfully, like tripping over your words or stumbling over your words, um, is a sensation that's quite familiar to me and, um, there's something of that in this piece. I think that sort of, yeah, attempt to sort of express that sort of the, like, I don't know, the hurdles it feels like sometimes to be able to say something really clearly.
0: Hmm. That's, that's that's interesting. And then, you know, to, to speak to a few more works that are in, that are in other shows, um, at Bloomberg New Contemporaries, there was another group show, and you had two pieces in in this show, um, "Spider Lashes," which was hand embroidered silk, and also a freshwater pearl. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about these? These almost look like like uh, like drops of water. Again, a kind of um, sculpted frame, very unusual shape and uh, and another layer a number of layers in here this this to this one in particular looks very um symbolic in a number of ways i mean i happen to be reading more about young lately so these look like there can almost be kind of archetypal images in here i don't know if i'm reading way too much into this but that's that's partly what i saw in these that um that these have a lot of depth and seem to almost reach into a kind of uh unconscious layer of of being is that is that going too far or
1: how do you feel about these
0: and and the title yeah
1: they sort of I thought these works to me felt quite almost talismanic um they were sort of Mm. uh drawing on I was reading the carrier bag theory of fiction um by Ursula K. Le Guin and she presents the idea in it of like the bottle or container as hero, um, she is an essay where she presents this theory of evolution, which is inspired by Elizabeth Fisher's text, um, Women's Creation. That the first human tool wasn't a weapon but a receptacle. Um, so it would be something that made it possible to collect more than could be held in the hands, whether that was, you know, grain or food, um, things that were like necessary to the growth of, you know, like the home or the hearth, and it sort of relates. I think more to a domestic idea of human evolution, um, which reads to me as more feminine maybe than that of the weapon. Um, And so I was thinking about sort of ideas of vessels or containers, and I think it was a look at, you know, sort of foregrounding the experience of the body as a vessel um, through these different fragments. Um, There are two of these tapestries in the Bloomberg New Contemporary Show, but they're a series of four, um, which are divided into the hands, the hair, the mouth, and the eye. And yeah, it was looking at sort of that, yeah, that like the power of the vessel almost. You know, does the shape of the vessel then define what's sort of poured into it, if that makes sense? Um, and so that sort of expands to yeah the framing for this one. Um, I sort of sit like the bottle became a vessel because I think it was sort of more slightly about
0: like a fluidity of form of
1: that idea of the body.
0: I like that. And the, and the titles, is that also drawn from the the book you were um, just mentioning spider lashes and the other one, which I love is Velveteen gasp.
1: Uh, they actually aren't from the um, Ursula Kayla Gwynn one. Um, Interestingly, these were originally um, presented in a show called Psychic Anemone at Quad Gallery, and there's a unbelievable text by um, a British artist called Ty Shawnee called Our Fatal Magic, and uh, the show takes its title from that book and from Tai's writing, and those are sort of uh, taken from some of the imagery in her book, which is this really like fascinating, like bodily sort of sci-fi. It's, yeah, it's really brilliant. I'd recommend it.
0: That's exciting. And um, so the show at 1969 continues with these two pieces. Um, I don't know if you saw the whole show, but to talk about it, to just come back to that show in the end here, to talk about the context you're you're in there. Um, how did you feel about that? Because this show, of course, you're saying you, you chose this work for this show, um that that was partly what what drove this particular selection. Uh the show title there was called Of course Eternal Reverie. Um how did you read that title or the or the context that you were in, if we can just talk about that, because you you made these for the show, right, thinking that there's going to be a, a specific type of work that your your work is kind of having a conversation with, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they sort of uh, they defined eternal reverie as a sort of desire to sort of exist within like a land that's only accessible through like another plane of thought. And I've always been really interested in world building. Um, I really respond to writers like you know Ursula K. Le Guin, um, who I've mentioned, Octavia Butler, Angela Carter who sort of employ these imagined realms to allow us to sort of examine like alternative ideas like you know sort of there's a distance I think offered by these subtle alterations of the familiar or even introductions of the fantastical that sort of allow us a sort of maybe wider perspective or sort of like more objectivity on like narratives that we're looking at and I think that's something I'm deeply interested in in my work and I feel like a lot of the works in that show have that quality to them
0: that's so interesting and and interesting that you mentioned um, Octavia Butler I'm reading the second volume of the parable of the sower and then there's another volume after that um, you know fascinating books and um, and beautiful and kind of page-turners and extraordinary in a number of ways To to talk about that a little bit, just because I'm also um, thinking about that that book a lot. Octavia Butler. When you talk about writers like that, you're you're, and you said a little a little twist of things. I mean, she's she's talking about the future, right? Um, I mean, she's in a number of different contexts in terms of of the type of writing she's done, kind of Afrofuturism or Mm -hmm. or all these different kind of uh, words that are that are used for. for the way she's writing but can you tell me a little bit more about, about how that relates to your work in terms of of narrative because there's very specific yeah fantasy narratives there um which also seem enormously plausible too i mean just kind of brilliant writer i'm, an, I'm enormously interested in those those books and her writing so um so just to just to extend a little more about that connection to to her work um, you're you're talking about not so much futurism, but you're talking about uh, a kind of symbolism that happens in, in her work that also relates to yours?
1: I think so. I think there's something that sort of
0: all of those writers do
1: really successfully, which is sort of, you know, these, like, imagined or the futurist realms, like, allow you to sort of examine, like, these, like, radical, like, you know, alternative societal possibilities. You know, Ursula Caleb Kayla Quinn does it, like, incredibly well in the left hand of darkness about gender also. Um, and I think there's something in that idea It's quite optimistic. Like, you know, once something has been imagined almost, it is, like, one step closer to being realised. Um, I'm sort of... I suppose how it relates to my work is I'm really interested in sort of, you know issues of selfhood and the politics of space and how you know the intersections of our identities inform you know our interior landscapes but also define the structures that we navigate beyond them um you know whether they're gendered racial you know sexual or economic um and so i think it's sort of i think it's a really successful vehicle for sort of questions on sort of the possi- like, in- like the possibilities of embodiment looking forward
0: Sheldon thanks so much for this I, I want to wish you well with this show and, and again um, urge listeners to to go see it if they can and learn more about it I, I want to ask you one more question before we go a little off topic although we've just been discussing it uh, what are you reading at the moment
1: um, I'm actually reading Annihilation at the moment um, I did see the Netflix film, and I didn't hate it actually, and I think it wasn't particularly well received, but um, I'm really interested in, you know, sci-fi and bio-horror and, like, the imagery of this landscape, it's this, like, transitional, like, generative, porous landscape with this really, like, threatening use of light that I find really interesting. there's actually uh, as an artist in London called um, Yuli Safati who runs this amazing multimedia reading group, um, which is called a sci fi curriculum. And it looks at like, speculative fiction as a sort of mode of academic research. And they had a recent session that compared um, Annihilation to and Neymarnes's We Are All at Sea, um, which I'd really recommend because Boys of Water by Ashida Neymarnes is a really huge inspiration for my work like her sort of hydrofeminist ideas about embodiment and I think there's some really interesting parallels between that and annihilation
0: Charlotte I want to thank you so much for talking to me today wish you well with the with, with show and um, and more thanks again for your time and your work
1: thank you so much for having me
0: you're listening to Yale Radio WYBC this is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists architects curators and more